go. I want to welcome you this morning. I want to welcome you here as guests in our sanctuary, but also those that are joining us live stream. And so we're going to have you stand this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. And how many recognize that uh, it seems like COVID is just intensifying here in the third wave, especially in our city and our province? But you know, I was just received a phone call this past week from Dr. Thomas from India. He just got back to the United States because they told him, if you don't leave now, you won't get out. And uh, the day before I was reading, India had actually 300,000 new cases of COVID. And uh, so as in my conversation with him, just to give you an idea how challenging this time really is, 27 people from his congregation in the last 13, 14 months have passed away because of COVID and 21 pastors in this fellowship. So we know that uh, people around our world are struggling. We have missionaries that serve in Myanmar. There's tremendous uh, military conflicts going on in Myanmar. A lot of people are dying. So we're not living in a, in a world that I would say is friendly to humanity. How's that? This is not a humanity-friendly world, but we have an amazing God, and we're going to talk about, you know, why in the world would God allow all of these things to be transpiring in our world today? We're going to find out that there is a hope in our time of trouble, and I think that's important. But we're going to pray today. How many are here, and you're saying, you know what, maybe my problems aren't at that magnitude, but there's still a sense in my life that there's difficulty and challenge. And I, and I sense it. There's probably a low-grade of uh, anxiety in our culture right now, you know, because our lives have been changed. Everybody recognizes that. We're not, we're not as free as we once were. We don't have the freedoms we once had. And uh, we are, we're restricted in our relationships with people. And that's, I, I know, has really been a huge uh, challenge in all of our lives. I don't think there's one person that can say, I've been unaffected by what's happened in the last year. So how many here, you want special prayer today? Uh, just let's raise our hands. Let's ask God to do a work. Because, you know, the Bible says, casting all our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. I love that. We have a caring God. He suffers with us. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would move in every situation, in every heart, Father. I pray that you would alleviate the sense of uh, frustration, anxiety, uh, all of the emotions that people are experiencing right now, and many people have experienced great difficulty in this time. We've, and I was listening to uh, at least Dr. Thomas earlier this week and some of the tremendous trials that he has encountered in the last year, probably the greatest uh, component of trials I've ever heard in his ministry. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue not only to encourage and strengthen and comfort he and Elizabeth, but I also pray, Father, that... For our brothers and sisters in Myanmar and around our world, Lord, many are suffering tremendous persecution, great difficulty, and many people's lives have been, uh, they're lost to this world anyways. I pray, Father, that you would encourage our hearts in the days to come, that we, Lord, would hear your voice in this hour and find the hope and the strength and the courage to move forward so that we could actually be phenomenal representatives of you in our community. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. That's great. You may be seated. When I was a young believer, 
uh, we ran into some books by Ann Kimmel. Ann Kimmel uh, was young woman who shared her faith in a very vivacious way. And she tells the story of a young woman. She names her Mary. I don't think that was her real name. And uh, she really understood the nature of God's grace and forgiveness. She first married when she was 17. She was excited. Of course, most new brides are. And everything seemed to be so perfect, so right. And while she was pregnant with their first child, discovered her husband was having multiple affairs on her. One day before the baby was born, her husband was in a terrible motorcycle accident. His car hit him. They had to amputate a leg. And as a result of that, he grew quite morose, very bitter, angry uh, person. His as I said his leg was taken off. And finally, when the baby came, and this does happen in some marriages where the husband feels threatened by the new child, feels a bit of displacement. Uh, baby was crying. He threatened to kill the baby and, the, and this young woman, Mary. And finally, she just realized that her life was in jeopardy, fled with the child, and began working. I don't know if it was in the same community, but found a job in a restaurant, had an apartment, and it was there that she met a police officer who was very friendly, and they found themselves strongly attracted to each other, even though he was married and had two young daughters. And so, you know, you think she would learn from her on that side experience of having someone betray her. She ended up in a relationship with this police officer, and it, it, it was so bad that she decided she needed to leave. She moved away, but he kept finding her, and before long, she was pregnant with his child. And not wanting to destroy his marriage, she moved to another community. Neighbors now on the other side of a duplex that she was renting were working on the fence, so she went outside to get acquainted, neighborly-like. And while they were chatting, the neighbors said, after a while, we need to get going. We're heading to our church's softball game. Well, this young woman asked which church that they attended and if she could go with them. Now, how many think that's amazing? Here's a person, not a believer, inviting herself to church. You know, I think, you know, we should be inviting people, but here she was so desperate and so broken, she knew she needed something in her life. I think we make an assumption. Can I just shatter some assumptions we make? Number one, that people aren't interested in Christianity. That's not true. That people don't have a need or brokenness in their life. You know, all people can say is no. I always say invite, right? So she comes to the church, small church, and so excited. People uh, loved her. She came to faith in Jesus Christ. Little boy was born, and she named him after the father. Well, she, you know, she hadn't finished high school. Here she's trying to work, in, and, but eventually ends up on welfare. The father finds her. Uh, just, you know, out of loneliness, probably some vulnerability, they have a one-night meeting, and boom, she finds herself pregnant again. Talk about going from one bad situation to the next. And by the way, if people don't do this, I'll, I'll straighten you out. This is reality. Now she's, in now she's battling shame. How many know that when you, now you know you're doing the wrong thing. She's aware of it. She's a Christian. She knows it's wrong. She feels tremendous shame and guilt. And so, in a desperate moment, she goes to the bathroom and starts taking all the pills she can find. And while she's doing that, immediately the presence of God floods that bathroom where she's at. She senses God's presence, remembers the song she had just recently learned, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, 
but now I see. And in that room, the Spirit of God was so strong, she realized she was wrong, she asked for forgiveness, and she came to a place where she had the courage to begin again. She went to the church, confessed her sin, church forgave her, loved her, and she became restored. Eventually, she got married to a believer who just loved her despite her past, and together they built a Christ-centered home. Great story, but how many recognize it left a lot of scars in the wake of a lot of bad decisions? But I'm bringing all of that out to help us understand the grace and mercy of Almighty God. Aren't you glad for God's mercy that does not give us what we deserve? Aren't you glad for God's grace who gives us what we need in our time of brokenness? And so Simon Peter certainly understood the grace of God because of how powerfully he himself experienced that grace in his own life. As a matter of fact, he could recall with the bravado that he had in the night when Jesus was betrayed and his own denial. Remember how adamant Peter was? I'll never, I'll, I'll even die with you, Jesus. On that very night, he's denying Jesus three times. And then the Bible says in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus looked at Peter. And in that look, I, I think it was a look of mercy. I think it was a look of pity. And Peter was so shattered in that moment, it says he wept bitterly. And Peter was, you know, God began to work in his life to restore him in a very powerful year way. And we know the story in John, how Jesus restores him. Day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching. How many would have picked Peter as the preacher after messing up so poorly? But they'd all messed up. Isn't that true? And aren't you glad that God isn't looking at how many times we mess up? How many are thankful for that? But he gives us opportunity after opportunity. So now Peter, years later, he's wiser, he's humbler. He is now there to encourage and strengthen those who are walking through life's most challenging moments. And this is the context of the epistle that Peter is now presenting to us, 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, we see here, Peter's writing to encourage people in the grace of God. Chapter 5 tells us that. So I'm going to raise a number of questions today. How do you and I handle the challenges and consequences of our own sinful choices? How do we handle those things? Or how do we handle the things that happen to us that we have no control over? It wasn't even our choice. That just disease strikes us or a tragedy happens in our lives. Maybe it's a disease. Uh, how do we handle life's disappointments or injustices or even persecutions? So what is our re response to false accusation? Maybe it costs us a job or maybe it costs us a meaningful relationship or worse, the loss of a spouse. And for many living today, the issue of living in this hour, which I think has, is filled with and froth with anxiety. I mean, this is a culture that's been battling anxiety for a long time. Then you add COVID on top of that. There's a lot of pressure on people. And we can see that all the restrictions and limitations and frustrations and people are, you know, you know are responding in so many different ways. But that's not where I'm going to look. I want to talk about how can we rediscover the joy in a time like this. How many think joy will help us? Joy will give us the strength to go on. It says, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'm quoting from Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord gives us power to handle life's deepest trials. Peter's writing now to address fiery trials. And he says he should not consider these things strange. That's the old King James. Don't consider these fiery trials, something as strange. This is 
We need to expect it. We need to have a, a mindset that says, oh, trials, that's normative. But yet I think in our lives, we walk around thinking that trials are abnormal. We act as if, you know, if a trial comes our way, what is God doing punishing me? But yet God's already dealt with our punishment on the cross. So it's got to be something totally different. And as we look at Peter, we're going to see this. So here in this introduction to Peter's first letter, we find Peter leaving us with two amazing realities that I think will empower our lives in this moment, this challenging moment. And the first one is our living hope. Now, how many know there's a lot of people that embrace false hope? There's a lot of people that are embracing hope that's not hope. But, and, and, and there's expectations people have that will never be realized. But here we have a hope that will sustain you and me through this most difficult hour. And it will help us whatever loss we're experiencing. Peter's writing to believers that are now dispersed throughout the province uh, or this region called Asia Minor. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle was somebody who had authority. Peter had authority because he had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry and had witnessed the crucifixion and had seen the resurrected Jesus. This was one of the qualifications of the early apostles. Peter had experienced it. So he's not talking from some, you know, somebody's testimony. This is Peter's dynamic experience in his own life. He says, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany. Now, these provinces are all in an area called Asia Minor in the ancient world. And if you want to know where that is today, that's the present-day country of Turkey. And a number of years ago, some of us went to Israel, then we went to Turkey. We traveled in western Turkey over 2,100 kilometers and saw different places where the New Testament church was located. That was fascinating. So a lot of the New Testament churches you and I read about in the book of Acts, they're actually found in the country of Turkey today. Really interesting. It says, who have been chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, how many here probably say, I could use a little grace right now? You know, we'll talk about that. You know, God's grace isn't just to save us. God's grace is actually to sustain us. God's grace is to help you and me every single day that we can walk through these challenging moments in our life. God's grace is here to keep us. So I love that about grace. And then it says peace. How many here probably think, you know, I could have a little peace of mind or peace maybe in, in my relationship, not only with God, but with other people. I need peace. And he's praying that it'll come in abundance. Now, there's a number of statements here in this introduction, in the first uh, nine verses, I want to start unpacking here for us. And the first one is, the, is that we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. And I love what Howard Marshall, he's a New Testament scholar, writes. He says, this does not mean that God chose them because he knew in advance that they would respond to his call but simply that God took the initiative and chose them before they had done anything to deserve it. So what is he saying to us? He's basically telling us that you and I don't initiate our salvation. It's God who's the initiator. It's God who made the plan. It's God who knew that you and I were sinners, 
that our world was in rebellion against God, that you and I all have a sinful nature, that you and I all need God's forgiveness, that you and I all need to be reconciled to God. So God, in his foreknowledge, created an amazing plan and brought us to himself. Now, whether this also means that God determined how they would respond is a mute point on which theologians disagree. This is kind of the Calvinist, Arminianist argument. And I remember in college, you know, when I was in Bible college studying, this, I really got hung up on this. This is such a big controversy, right? And it's been going on for about 500 years now. And uh, so I was really into it. I was trying to figure it out. And it was really kind of taxing. And I realized something, you know, the church is still arguing over this point. And so brighter minds have not come to any point of an agreement. So I felt God kind of give me a little encouragement. You know, just relax. Sometimes I think we just need to relax and just realize that somewhere in this beautiful picture is, is the reality of the story. But I think what the point is that he's making here is that God is the initiator of our salvation. He's the originator of salvation. You and I don't save ourselves. As a matter of fact, it's, it's part of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That's the work of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And... Uh, so it's through the work of God's Holy Spirit that he brings about our transformation. He, he literally moves us out of the kingdom of darkness and he puts us into the kingdom of God. We who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, God makes us alive through the resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead comes inside of us and moves us into a new kingdom. And Paul says it this way in Colossians. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Who's doing this? The Holy Spirit. That's the work of God's spirit in our lives, making Christ known to us, making him real to us. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what we are hearing here is that God is the initiator. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter two, I love this chapter, it really brings it out so clearly. It says, you who were once dead in trespasses and sins. I always ask the question, what does a dead person, what can a dead person do for himself? What's the obvious answer? Nothing. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, so what does God do? It, but God in rich, who is rich in mercy, He's made us alive in Christ. It's the work of God. I love that. And he says it here in verse 8. Uh, he goes, he says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is by grace. You know, grace... Uh, is that idea of God giving you and I something we don't deserve. It's God giving us a gift. It's not something you and I work for. It's not you and I, we get, you know, I finally am a place where God can accept me because I've cleaned up my act. No, we'll never get there. We're always messed up. As actually, I would argue that we're probably far worse than we think we are. You know, we just have to live with ourselves, so we're living in a lot of self-denial. As a matter of fact, if God's spirit ever decided to really clean house, we'd be pretty broken. I'm being honest about that. We would just come unglued. We would just realize, my goodness, I didn't realize I was this big of a sinner. It would just blow us away. He says, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. You know what, God doesn't save us just so you and I can have a wonderful life and a great plan for our life. No, it's not, that's kind of how it's presented sometimes. No, God saves us in order for you and I 
to do what he has in mind for us. And he has amazing things that he wants us to do for others. Interesting, he wants to move us beyond ourselves. It says, we are God's hand, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God does have a plan. God does have an agenda for our lives. And you and I, as we walk every day in obedience to God, are gonna fulfill God's agenda and plan. God will get you to where you need to go. Isn't that a nice thought? You know, some of us are stressed out about, you know, what is God's will for my life? No, you just can relax. Just obey him every day and you'll do God's will for your life. How's that? It's just that simple. Just do the right thing today and you'll be doing what you should be doing. And that takes you on a, on a journey that you have no idea where you're gonna end up. You end up meeting people and sharing with people and, and sometimes you're on a trip on a, you know, I, I have shared the gospel with people and in all kinds of countries in the world just because God you know, decided to bring people into my life. It's really amazing how he does that. As a matter of fact, it says here in John 15, he told his disciples, he said, listen, you didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. In other words, God says, I'm looking for uh, a result from your life. You know, I'm looking for... Uh, the work of my spirit to work through your life. And we need to be praying, God, I want you to work in my life and then I want you to work through my life, producing something that's gonna help you know, other people. So our salvation comes as a result of a divine summons which we've answered. And often from the human vantage point, it seems like sheer accident. But God in his wisdom has orchestrated the events to bring us to himself. Isn't that beautiful? So, you know, hindsight's powerful. We can look back and go, you know, at the time it looks like these are all accidental, coincidental things. But then when you look back, you can realize God was orchestrating the whole thing to bring you to a certain place, to meet certain people, to hear certain things at just the right time. And all of a sudden, you know, we're catching on that God is speaking into our lives and drawing us to himself. Then Peter goes on to address these believers as exiles. Now it's, it's interesting, uh, he's using a term there that was used of the Jewish people who were dispensed throughout the ancient world when they were you know, taken out of their homeland. It was called the dysphoria. And so here they are now exiles. They're, the Jewish people were living all over the Mediterranean world. And he said, that's true of Christians. You know, you guys are like exiles. But he's using it in the sense that our home is not just this planet. As a matter of fact, we, you know, Peter's going to argue that our home ultimately is awaiting us. It's ahead of us. We're, our home is heaven and then the new heavens and the new earth. You know, it's beautiful. That's, that's what we're, what's, what's awaiting us. And so he's bringing that out to us to understand that. Now, Karen Jobes writes, Peter uses this disorienting experience to instruct and encourage them with his insight that all Christians are in a real sense foreigners to their place of residence. Regardless of where they're living, whenever Christian values and customs conflict with those of the dominant society. Now, we're living in a time, folks, where the mores or the morals, that's what a more, a moral, of our culture many times is at odds with God's. How many say that's true? As a matter of fact, a lot of what people think is normative today, when people say, well, everyone's doing it, that's normative, God goes, yeah, that may be normal, but that's not healthy, it's not holy, it's actually a perversion, and it's destructive. 
So we need to understand that. So God is calling us out of that and has a totally different value system. You and I have different values if we're a follower of Christ. And our values are coming from the scriptures. And God is telling us to present our bodies because God says, I'm living inside of this body. Your body is a temple. A temple is a place where God lives. God is living inside of our bodies. And he's saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to me, which is your reasonable act of worship. That's, that's how you and I worship God. See, a lot of times we think worship is just when we lift our hands and sing a few songs. No, worship is the living of this life in a way that pleases God every day. How's that? That's real worship. And it's all the time. Worship is 24-7. Even when you're sleeping, oh, you know, we can be worshiping. We're resting now. And even at times like that, God can, you know, have, give us a dream. God, God is in control of our lives. He can speak into our lives in very powerful ways. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Well, how do you learn this stuff? It's in the word of God. So now you're, you're not embracing the value system of the society. And Karen goes on to say, nevertheless... Peter does not call them to withdraw from society. She's picking up on Jesus' high priestly prayer when Jesus says, yes, I'm not taking them out of the world, but they're not of the world. You and I are not, we don't have the same values of this culture, but you and I are in this society still. But we'll instead present Christian engagement with society in the mode that might be expected of foreigners who wish to maintain their identity of origin. What's he saying? You know that when people come from a different place in the world, they retain their identity. They still retain their uh, origin, a place of origin, their language and their customs, even though they're living in a different country. And a lot of times we talk about expatriates or we talk about people that are uh, immigrants. But the reality is they're in the culture. They can even become citizens of that culture, but they still have an identity from elsewhere. And that's what he's trying to get across here. You and I have an identity. We're Christians, folks. We're different. We should be different. Peter's going to tell us later on in his letter that we're actually a treasure, but we're a little peculiar to the society because we're not in step with its drumbeat. We're not walking with the same value system. They, they think we're a little strange because we have a different value system. What is important to us is not important to them. What's important to them is not important to us. They're going, what's wrong with you people? Well, that's because we're exiles and foreigners. We don't really fit in totally to this culture. Uh, foreigners that will dwell with respect in their host nation, but participate in the culture only to the extent that its values and customs coincide with their own that they wish to preserve. So you and I are saying, yeah, there's a lot of things that I think are not bad. There's a lot of cultural things that are good. You know, we can embrace them, Right? traditional songs and all the rest of that stuff. That's all, we got heritage and history and all the rest of it. But you know, it's some of the stuff that's spiritual and leads people away from God. That's the stuff we just move away from. So the real purpose of our lives is that we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart for God's purposes. It means that God is saying, I want you to be like me. I want, I'm, he's, God is other than us 
But he's also a person who walks in integrity and in holiness. And he's calling us to that. And we're going to see Peter's going to call us to that in this letter. You know, a number of years ago, I remember thinking about the nature of success. I remember one day I was reading a little quote from Max Licato. I think it was in a leadership magazine. And I, it really impacted me. And he said this, success can only be measured to the degree that we have been obedient to God's will for our lives. Now, how many already see that, you know, for a lot of people, that's not their definition of success? Isn't that true? I would argue it's not what we achieve, it's not what we accomplish, it's not what we accumulate, but rather how we have fulfilled God's purposes for our lives that determines if we're successful or not. That's a different standard. So you have to sit down and say, what is my definition of success because for some people their definition of success they have a lot of money some people is to achieve a lot of things some people is to be famous whatever that definition is i'm saying this is a biblical definition i want to be known as a person who was faithful to do the will of our father what a, what an encouragement to know that what god is evaluating in our lives is our faithfulness to his will so am i being faithful to god that's all I need to ask. Am I doing what God is telling me to do? And you go, how do you know what God's telling me to do, Pastor? Read the word of God. The word, if I'm obedient to what the scriptures are teaching, then I'm doing the will of God. That's what determines it. So now we have to move. Uh, we move to the attitude that we need to have regardless of our outward circumstances, and that's the desire to rejoice. Now, how many think rejoicing in a time of difficulty almost seems challenging? Doesn't it seem a little challenging to you to rejoice? But he says, rejoice in the gift of the new birth into a living hope. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I, I want to just, I love some of these words, mercy. And I've already said it, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Do you know every one of us deserves judgment? When you really get down to it, we're all rebels. We all deserve to be punished for our sins, but what does Jesus do? He goes, no, I'm gonna step in and die for you. You know, and that's, that's called grace. God says, I'm gonna give you something you don't deserve, forgiveness. I'm gonna give you something you don't deserve. I'm gonna bring you into my family. I'm gonna give you something you don't deserve. I'm gonna give you eternal life. I'm gonna give you something you don't deserve. I'm gonna bring you to live with me forever. Wow, these are amazing things that God is doing for us. You know, we have something to rejoice about. I, I think we have something to sing about. We have something to dance about. We have something to speak about. And yet so often as Christians, you know, I don't understand this. You know, we just, we're, we're, we get excited about the wrong things. You know, we get all excited. Oh, I got a new car. Or, oh, so-and-so scored in the big game. You know, like that's the big deal. I'm going, hey, those things are all fleeting and really have no eternal significance. You and I have something to really get excited about. I'm a child of the most high God. I'm part of God's forever family. God saved me from my sins. Wow, this is exciting. 
You know, we should be coming to church and going, man, I, I just want to sing with every fiber of my being to worship him. Do you know what the problem is? Sometimes we just don't know how good and almighty and how great and awesome God is. The more we get to know God, the more something inside of us wells up to, to really want to worship God. You know, that, that's when you, you become a real worship, when you understand all the amazing things he's done. How many have looked back in your life and said, if I could do it all over again, I'd make a number of changes? You know, I'd, I'd hit the restart button. I'd hit the refresh button or whatever button you want to call it. But I want to say that, you know, in the, in the Christian message, in the God, good news message, we get a new beginning. We get a start over. We get a flesh, fresh slate. How many people, would they do things differently? Here's your opportunity. Here's a God of the second chances. He gives us a new birth. We take on a new identity. We get a new life. We get a clean heart. Hey, how good is this? Can we get excited about this? You know, and... Then he gives us this amazing hope. It's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a false hope. It's not a deceptive hope. It's a living hope, and it's a hope towards the future. We have something to look forward to. Do you know what sustains people in a trying time? That there's going to be a better time. And here's what I want to say to you. Folks, we're just passing through this old planet called Earth, and it's rotting and decaying around us, but we have a, a, an eternal hope with an eternal God. That will never fade. This inheritance says it will never fade or perish or pass away. It's a living hope. But you know, what? one thing about hope is hope is a, is a you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's, it's about the future. But I want to help us right now because a lot of times this isn't just pie in the sky. It's based on a historical event. Christianity is based, our faith is based on something that actually happened. Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago. He died and rose again from the dead so you and I would no longer have to deal with our sins and the consequence of our sins, which is death. God conquered death for us. That's why we have a hope. When I did that funeral yesterday, that brother who is our brother in Christ now is with the Lord. We can say that to his, his family members because he was a fallen of Jesus, we can make the declaration with absolute confidence that Winston Watts is in the presence of the living God. And, yes. And if we're believers, we will be reunited. Half the time I hear the society telling us, oh, they're in a better place. How do you know? You better have the hope built on the right foundation or else you're just having a false hope. Isn't that true? Yeah, a little scary, isn't it? This is what Paul says in, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. There's a new start over. Hit the start over button. I love that. What's even greater is the new heart with the new nature operating within us to help us overcome the old nature. God actually changes our nature by giving us his nature. This is what Peter writes in his second letter. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. No excuses. God's given us everything we need to be successful in this life. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Through our knowledge of him, how do we get that? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us 
very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You know why people do the wrong thing? Because they have desire for the wrong thing. They love the darkness more than the light, John tells us. What's beautiful about this, God gives us a new nature. He gives us his nature. As a matter of fact, when you read the Old Testament, even though God gave people the law and he told them this is what you need to do to live, we, the people in covenant with God were unable to do it. So God says, I'm going to create a new covenant. Listen to what Ezekiel says. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. God says, I'm going to change your heart, and my spirit is going to come inside of you. I'm going to give you a new nature. And that's what theologians are talking about when they talk about regeneration. The Bible talks about this. We are regenerated. We are given a new heart. We have a heart transplant, folks. It's a spiritual heart. The old nature is now being subsumed by this new nature. There's a power inside of us that's now greater than our sinful nature so that you and I can say no to sin and yes to God. How encouraging is that? And then he goes on to describe this living hope. I think there's nothing more devastating than living without hope. And Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Without hope. I'll tell you, isn't that a sad state of affairs? People are grasping today, looking for hope somewhere. Where is this hope? You and I have it. I'm saying to myself, if there should ever be a people right now that should be rising up in the middle of this great trial and be full of hope and joy, it should be us. Are you full of hope? Are you full of joy? Are you rejoicing? Going, Pastor, I'm wallowing. You know, I'm struggling. Hang on, we're going to talk about stuff that's going to help you move to that state. I'm praying, I'm going to pray today that you're going to get there. We have an everlasting inheritance which has been reserved for us. Verse 4, he says, and into that everlasting inheritance that can never uh, fade, perish, or spoil. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You know, God, nobody can take it away from us. It's incorruptible. It's eternal. No matter how difficult it is here on earth, and no matter how many losses we experience, we can be assured that we're only, what we're seeing is temporary anyways. When you look around, everything you see is temporary. Everything you, your eyes light upon right now is all temporary. The only things that are eternal are that which you cannot see. Hmm. What God has for us is eternal in nature. Peter is telling us that we are resting this hope on the fact of that past historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wow, is that ever powerful? No wonder we celebrate Easter because that's where everything springs from. Let me move on to the second amazing reality and that's the only other point I have is a faith that shields us. In this world, there's such a battle. How many go... I get it. Anybody notice we're in a spiritual battle? Anybody notice that? Do we get it? It's real. 
It's out there. It's happening. We have an adversary. He's out to steal, rob, kill, destroy, make your life miserable, get you away from God any which way he can do it, through temptation, through uh, discouragement, however he can do it, to move you away from trusting in Almighty God. Because John says to us in his first letter, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes our world. So who is it that overcomes the world, he asks in verse 5. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you trusting in this Jesus? You have faith. And if you have faith, you have victory over this world. Here in our text, we see that this faith is in God's power. Verse 5 says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Howard Marshall says, it's not much use, however, to preserve an inheritance if the heir is not going to live to receive it. What is he saying? Well, if you're going to inherit from your family members and you die first, what good is that inheritance to you? That's what he's telling us. So in view of the tribulations that they were facing, Peter reassures his readers that they are being kept safely by God. God says, you know what? You're not going to die first. In other words, no, you're not going to lose your inheritance. I'm going to make sure you get it. God will protect them by his power from the hostile attacks of evil. And at the same time, their faith is now shielding them. This comment shows that God's power does not work automatically, regardless of the attitude of the Christian. It is, it is as Christians trusting God that they experience this power to protect them. So what's he saying? There's, a, there's an overlap here. God protects us, but God says, no, but you've got to exercise your faith too. As a matter of fact, Paul brings that out when he talks about the shield as a faith that extinguishes all the fiery darts of the enemy in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. So, so when you and I have things coming against us, you know, here's what I'm going to tell you. Something comes along and you get discouraged, but then you need to say, but God. But God. Yeah, but this, but God. Somebody says, well, yeah, but what about this? But God. You see, when you and I are locked into how great God is, it negates all of the other things that are happening to us. Yeah, but God's in control. Yeah, but God works all things together for good to those that love God. You see, when you have the word of God inside of you, these words come flooding to your mind, but you're saying to yourself, but God, God's in control. God still loves people. See, we got to keep talking like that to ourselves. Faith helps us deal with life's problems and challenges. It gives us continued confidence in God. I love the story that Donner Atwood shares in the bombings of London in World War II. Buildings are crumpling under the bombs, and here's a father running with his son, seeking for shelter, and immediately the father sees a nearby hole, jumps into the hole, holds up his arms for his son to follow him in, terrified, but hearing his father's voice telling him to jump, the little boy says, I can't see you. The father looking up against the sky-tinted red, the burning buildings, calls back. But I can see you jump. The little boy jumps because of why? He trusts his father. The Christian faith enables us to face life or meet death, not because we can see, but with the certainty that we are seen. 
Not that we know all the answers, but that we are known. And Peter says in verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Rejoicing in trials. This kind of sounds like the book of James to me. That tells us to consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now how in the world can we actually go, Lord, thank you for this trial. How can we get to that stage where we no longer resent trials? We're no longer afraid of trials. We're no longer discouraged by trials. How many would like to learn how to rejoice in trials? Anybody up for that lesson right now? Here it comes. This is gonna shift our whole thinking. There's a purpose in trials. Trials are vehicles that take us from a state of immaturity to maturity. It's God's tool and vehicle to bring us from immaturity to maturity. Listen to what James says in verse 3 of chapter 1. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What is God doing? He's strengthening us. He's taking us through the trial to strengthen us. You know, I'm going to say this. You know, because I've been a pastor so long, you know what's helping me right now, probably in the most, I, I've said this to people, you know, pastors are quitting. As a matter of fact, I would say, that, you know, there are certain vocations that have high casualty rates. To give you an idea, even before COVID, 95% of all people that go into the pastorate do not retire as a pastor. They just can't take the pressure. They're gone. 5%. I'm not trying to make myself a hero. I'm just telling you what it's like. But you know what's happened in this last year? I, I've said to people, this has been by far the most difficult year of my ministry right now. There are so many issues and crisis in people's lives. It's unbelievable. But you know what's helping me? Because when I look back over my earlier years and some of the trials that God took me through, and some of them were years in the making and long and difficult and challenging, it creates something inside of you, hardness. It toughens you up. It creates endurance, you know. That's why a lot of people just crumble under the pressure. But you have to have pressure in order to handle pressure. You have to have muscle in order to move, you know, to, to be able to handle the weight of the load. As a matter of fact, that's what weightlifting is all about. It's designed to tear up your muscle in order for you to strengthen your muscle. It almost seems like it should be doing the opposite. We see trials as the problem. Now, think of trials as the weightlifting room. You're in the gym. You're working out. You're learning how to trust God with this problem that you're facing. You're learning how to walk through this and eventually God takes you through the trial and you're stronger now and you look back and say God was faithful there and the more trials you go through the stronger you become so when eventually you know you get to an older stage in life. I used to think as you got older it got easier. I, I, that's not true. I think as you get older it gets more difficult, more challenging. The problems are more significant. And you're dealing with bigger issues. But you know what? You've had the training when you're younger. So don't shy away from the trials. God's developing you. Listen to what uh, Peter says. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. In other words, trials help reveal to you and to me what is going on inside of us. And when we fail in the trial, it's because we're weak. It's because there's things that are wrong in our lives. There's things we need to get rid of. There's things we need to confess. There's things we need to grow away from and become stronger as a result of. And God knows all of these things. 
I believe COVID is one of, the, one of these things. You know, we're, we act, and this is gonna shock some of you. Well, you know, why do we have to deal with COVID for 14 months? What's going on here? You know, where is God in this? Would God allow this to happen? Folks, can I tell you, even if Satan is the agent of bringing it, God's allowing it, I would even say God's the initi- God is allowing our society to, to actually feel the weight of our consequences of our, our rebellion on this planet. How's that? This planet is in a state of rebellion against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The majority of people are not serving God and they're doing their own thing and there's a consequence to all of this. And we're living in it and everybody's affected by it. But meanwhile, while we're in it, we could go, oh, that's these other people's fault. Maybe not. I say, don't forget about the blame game. What am I going to learn in this thing? What am I supposed to develop while I'm in this time? What am I supposed to grow up in as a result of this? You know, uh, he goes on to say, this genuineness of faith, which is of greater worth than gold. Listen to what God says. His value system is so unlike ours. God says faith is, has more value than gold. You know, gold has a high value in our culture. It's very expensive. Isn't that true, Curtis? You work with it all the time. Very expensive gold. I'm going to tell you something. Your faith is more precious than gold. What is God doing? He's refining it. Listen to what F.B. Meyer says here, and I think it's so powerful. He says, we, we do not prune brambles. In other words, you don't take a flower, a, a, a fruit tree, I mean, you don't take a weed and start cutting and trimming to get more weeds. You don't do it that way. As a matter of fact, when you're doing dandelions, you want to get to the root. Otherwise, they're just going to come back, right? Okay, what's he saying? He's saying, you don't do that hard work. To, you're doing it with something of value. He says, he goes on to say here, uh, you don't cast stones into a crucible. No, you cast gold into the crucible. Why? Because Christ would not test us if he did not see the precious ore of faith mingled in the rocky matrix of our own nature. And it is to bring this out into purity that he forces us through the fiery ordeal. What's he doing? He's allowing us to go into this trial because he wants to purify our faith and get rid of the junk that's part of our faith. He's putting pressure on us. That's what he's doing. Okay. Though you have not seen him, it says you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm going to quote with, I'm going to end with this quote and then I'm going to call us to prayer. Inexpress, inexpressible joy, David Helm says, is, is said to be the handmaiden of the suffering Christian. Interesting, when Peter closed his thoughts on heavens in verse 5, he wrote, in this you rejoice. In other words, when we think about heaven, it causes us to rejoice. But here when he finishes his thoughts on suffering, he says that our rejoicing is largely inexpressible. In other words, Think about heaven and you have something to say, but while you endure various trials, know that the joy they produce in you will be a quiet sort, a nonverbal kind, an inexpressible joy. The strange truth of the gospel is this, salvation's future inheritance is gained during this season of present sufferings. What's he saying? He's saying while we're living on earth, we're gonna suffer. I want us to stand. Peter, in writing this book, He's gonna really mess with all of our theology. And I think we need to get biblical theology. What is Peter saying? Arm your mind, 
be prepared to suffer. Peter goes on to say it this way. He says, if you're going to have to suffer, which everybody does, make sure you're suffering for the right reasons and not the wrong ones. I think that's a great thing. Number two, I want to share a little story. When I was a brand new Christian, I was a keener. What I mean by that was, I was at the prayer meeting, I was involved in church, I was excited. I went and did visitations with my pastor. I visited with people in prison. I went to the hospital. I mean, I was all over the place. I was excited. You know, this was real to me. I had a real encounter with Christ. And then one of my younger friends, you know, I'm, I'm like in my tw early 20s, 21, 22. <clears throat> he said, you know, we went away, some guys, this was back when he was living in Oklahoma. I'm living in Washington at this time. He's living in Washington. Friend from Oklahoma. He was from Oklahoma. Had that accent. He said, yeah, we went out and fasted and prayed and God just did some great things in our lives. He said, you wanna, you wanna get together and do that? I said, sounds like a plan. So I book off my holidays to go fasting and praying. I'm a keener. So I get up there and this at the last minute, he cancels out. I decide, no, I'm committed, I'm going. So I have this week booked off in the mountains, you know, in the Cascade Range, at a cabin. I lasted five days. That's not bad. I'm a brand new Christian. Fasting for five days seemed like a long time to me. Some of you are standing here going, that is a long time, Pastor. <clears throat> so I'm fasting and praying, and I'm asking God, what do you want with my life, you know? And I don't have God saying, oh, by the way, you're gonna be a pastor. He never did that. He never, we never he, he never showed me that's what I was supposed to be doing. But every time I kept looking through and reading the scriptures, this is the message God put in my mind. Be prepared to suffer. Now, how many go, that's not an exciting message, pastor. <laughs> but it was a good message. Because I'll tell you why. As North Americans, we're not prepared to suffer. And when it comes our way, we are so fragile, we just fold up like an accordion. Isn't that true? Come on, let's be honest. We're not tough. You know, when I travel the world and I see the poverty and the persecution, and by the way, the persecution in some of these countries is unbelievable. And the freedoms that you and I still enjoy, even with our limitations, are so amazing compared to other parts of the world. You have no concept. I'm just trying to tell you, we're not very tough. And I, I believe God's trying to help us right now. We need to get stronger. We need to get stronger. And stronger doesn't mean I get my way. Stronger means I surrender my will to him. And I allow him to have his way in me. And I learn to trust him even when I don't understand what's going on. And even though I don't see the end, I know by ultimate end where I'm going. And so I just stay on the path. And I just start learning how to endure. Something that we have a hard time with in this culture. We have to learn patience, something that we struggle with because we're very impatient. And we demand answers right now. And we make demands of God and of other people that are unrealistic and unwise because we want our way. And with every head bowed right now, my prayer today, and I had the men praying with me this morning. Right now you say, you know, Pastor, I can honestly say I have been discouraged. I can honestly say I have been weary. I have been frustrated. I have been upset. 
some of these experiences in your soul. I have, I have felt like, you know, I, I, I even question sometimes if God even cares. Maybe that's you this morning, and I want you to know right now, I want to pray a prayer of grace over you because I believe God's grace isn't just to save us. I believe God's grace is to strengthen us and to sustain us and to empower us so that we can go through the trial that God has brought in your life and in my life and the trials that God is bringing into our lives that we can do it with joy and a quiet confidence that God is a good God and he's going to take us all the way through and that when we get to the other side and look back Trish and Nick you're stronger isn't that true these guys have gone through it and they are refined saints that's how that's how I look at them they've been refined and if you want to really grow and become a man and a woman of God you're gonna to have to go through trial that's what's gonna make you the person God can really use you know a lot of us oh God use me you know what? he can't really use us because the moment he starts using you Satan will come against you and if you're not strong enough he'll crush you like an accordion you got to have something inside of you and it's only trials that can help develop that strength within you but I'm gonna to pray today that God will strengthen you just like he said to Peter I've prayed for you Peter and after you are strengthened you will comfort my brothers is not that beautiful Jesus prayed that prayer I'm praying a prayer Jesus prayed and that's you today God speak into your hearts right now just lift your hand I want to pray with you just lift your hands to God this is let the Spirit of God just wash over your soul today and bring rain of refreshment rain of encouragement rain of comfort rain of strength in your lives and Lord I'm praying for that right now that your spirit would be poured out on you us your children Lord we're humbling ourselves today we recognize we're weak we know we need your strength what is coming against us is far too great for us in our own human wisdom and strength and I pray right now Lord that you would strengthen us in this hour you would reinforce us you would encourage us you would empower us you would reinvigorate us that they would become a deeper spiritual passion inside of us Lord that you could use our lives in a more powerful way and that father I'm praying right now that you would bring such joy in the middle of this hardship that people would go what are you so happy about in the middle of this time what is that joy that peace that hope that is flooding your heart and we will have the opportunity to give the answer to the hope that is lying within us because it's a living hope and not a false one and we thank you for that in Jesus name Amen. God bless you as you leave.